Luke 19 and 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. But he could not for the press because he was little of stature. So he ran before and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Everybody say to see him. For he was to pass that way. There's more faith in this chapter than you recognize. He ran ahead because he heard where he was going to pass by. He said, I want to see him. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want us to call on the name of the Lord together today and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for His Word. Would you join me today? God, you know we need you today. We need you in this house. We need you to speak, God, to your people. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch every heart, every life, every mind. Let the will of God be accomplished in this house. Nothing less, nothing more. Let your will be done. Touch every heart. In Jesus' name, we'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Would you set your Bibles down today and clap unto the Lord with all your might? Give him praise today, for our God is good. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated today. I want to preach to you, if I can, with the help of the Lord this morning. It will make more sense in a few moments, but I want to actually borrow. I want to... I want to borrow some words out of the book of Job, which we'll read shortly. But I want to give you a title today that is based out of the scripture. Where Job said, I have heard of you, but now I've seen you. He said, I've heard of you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. And today I want to preach to this congregation that I want to see him. I want to see him. And I want to see him for who he is. 
The truth of the matter is that many folks that you encounter desire to see God. They say with their mouth that they really want to know Him. They really want to see Him. But the sincere truth is that their vision of who He is is obfuscated by what they've been through. Their reality has marred the image of what God is in their lives. In other words, their perception of Him is their reality of Him. And there's so many people that when they, when they try to view God as He is, they can't see Him for who He is because of perhaps things that they encountered in their childhood, things that they've been through relationships that crumbled, parents that hurt them, harm that happened in their lives. And maybe even today, uh, it's because of a father that treated them wrongly. And they never had a father in their life that loved them. And so when you talk to them as God being their father, it's so hard for them to fathom the perfect love of God Because the only father that they've ever known did them harm. And there are people that had good men in their lives to be a fatherly figure. But maybe they were were in the house but they weren't present. You know, maybe maybe they were so busy working a job and, and providing for their family that they thought they were in their kids' lives. But their lives don't understand what it means to have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's really hard to fathom when you've been let down by people that God truly is faithful through thick and thin, through every storm. And your value system, your your value system cannot measure the worth of God because we measure things by what we know and what we've seen and the harm that we have that we have had done to us and by the disappointments that have transpired in our lives. But I want to help somebody today see God, not through the lens of disappointment, but through an understanding of just how much He truly loves you. I mentioned it today, and it was not by accident in my opening remarks that it's hard to find Love that has no strings attached. Now, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. That God does expect us to love Him in return. He, he really does. There, there are strings attached from the idea that He wants us to love Him. But this is what you need to know. Whether you love Him or not, He loves you. Whether you're faithful or not, He's faithful. Whether you're good or not, he's always good. Whether you're present or not, he is always present. He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. There may be people who have loved you in your life, but they loved you with a measure that if you don't give me something in return, then I can't love you. But I want to tell you today, he loved you when you had nothing to offer him. He loved you in your state of imperfection. The word of the Lord said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love for me is not measured by the value that I bring to the relationship. 
He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I felt worthless. He loved me when I could offer him nothing. And I want you today to see him as he is. How many of you know he's good? When I say this to you today, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. That he has been better to me than I've been to him. God has been better to me than I've been to myself. God has been faithful. I really have strived in my lifetime to be faithful. But I've, I've had times that when I look back on it, I think, you know, maybe I could have done a little more. Maybe I could have tried a little harder. Maybe, maybe I could have given a little bit. But I've never had a time in my life that I've looked back on it and said, you know, God could have loved me a little better. God, God, God could have been a little more faithful to me. Any voice that would speak that in your life is not a voice of peace. And you can't measure the love of God by the amount of peace that you have felt in seasons in your life because he loves us so much that he does not invite himself into our lives. I know people that have said, well, if God is so good, then why did I go through what I went through? Woo. Well, I'm going to get real with you this morning. If God is so real, why do bad things happen to good people? Because good people don't make everybody good. Can I say it again? Good people don't make everybody good. There's always been good people and there's always been bad people. There's always been loving people and there's always been hateful people. There's always going to be people that mean to do you harm. And there's always going to be people that would love to do you good and love to do you right. But all of that has nothing to do with the goodness of God. Yeah, but, 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 but God, God allowed things to happen to me in my life. No, I don't think you understand how this thing works. It is because of his mercies that you're not consumed. Yeah, but God, God should have never let that happen. No, no, let me help you with this today. You went through what you went through and you made it because of him. You're still here today because of him. God doesn't just keep life from happening. But you realize the value of a relationship with him when you realize that after everything you've been through, he was there all the time. He's been faithful all the time. He never left you. He never, oh my, my, I feel him helping me right now. I said he never left your side. He never walked away from you. He never turned his back on you. He was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. How many of you know he's a patient God? I'm so glad that he's more patient than I am. Because every day of my life, I'm telling him, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. I want you to know if I measured his patience by mine, God... God would be screaming at me every time I pray. He'd be saying, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. <laughs> fix your attitude. Fix your spirit. Fix your heart. 
Come on. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. I can tell you of a million times in my life that I've come up short, but I can't name you once. I said I can't name you once in my life that God has ever come up short. He is always more than enough. The Apostle Paul was dealing with some things. Now, you, you, have, to, you have to get the, kind of the backside of the story with Paul, and, and uh, it's a whole different sermon. But, you know, when Paul, when Paul was converted on that road that day, and the, the brilliance of the light of God blinded him, and he heard that voice that came from heaven, he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You look at that, and you think, well, Paul didn't really have any choice but to be converted because he saw the light, he heard the voice. And it was there, but Paul did have a choice. Paul had a great, he had a great big choice to make right then. Because not everybody that's heard his voice and seen the light of his goodness has converted. But Paul had a lot to lose. Paul had a lot, he had a lot going for him as far as the Pharisee was concerned. He came from Tarsus and, and, and you know, he ends up in a really high place. Not everyone could say they sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned of him. The art of being a Pharisee and the word of God and, and, and the Torah was a powerful thing in his life. But Paul had a lot to lose. But he also realized that he had more to gain than he had to lose. And this is so valuable on how you see God. God had to blind Paul for him to see who he was. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? God had to blind him in the flesh for him to recognize his goodness in the spirit. Sometimes the greatest thing that could happen to us for us to see Jesus as he is is for us to stop looking at him through the lens of what we see in our flesh. God had to blind him in the flesh for him to see him as he was. I'm here to help somebody today to get all of these things out of your eyes and, and off of your mind of how you're measuring the greatness of God. I'm telling you that God is good when nothing else is good. God is faithful when nobody else is faithful. You can tell the true conversion of a man in the life of Paul because, because Paul, which was which was his, his name, and then he comes to Jerusalem and he takes on this Pharisee name of Saul, and uh, historians believe that he went by Paul all of his life, and he comes to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, and it didn't sound quite Aramaic enough for him, and, and, and so he takes on the name Saul to study because Saul was a mighty man uh, in, in the history of, of Israel, and he takes on this name of Saul, and he's studying and he's learning. He learns all these things about the attributes of God and the power of God. And then he starts, then he starts cursing people that have, have followed in the steps of this Messiah. This one who, who he had learned at the feet of Gamaliel was coming. This Messiah is coming. But when he came, he did not come the way that Paul expected him to come. And because he had a premeditated idea on what he was going to look like. He missed a moment that he could have been enraptured in all the miracles and the signs and the wonders 
But do you know, really, it's a tough thing when you realize that so many of the things that Paul believed in and he taught, he had to teach from the perspective of just hearing the story. Because he didn't get to walk with him while he was walking. His, his conversion happened after Jesus had ascended. I would hate to think that even in seeing, I was so blind that I couldn't see him working right in front of my face. Woo. It's a little tight in here about that now. And so, so here, here he is, and he gets converted. And then, whatever it is, you know, I've studied a lifetime on what this thorn in his flesh was. It's hard to know. Some, some believe it was probably from the blindness that he had at his conversion. Although we do know that as scales, something fell off of his eyes where he could see. But perhaps he couldn't see as clearly as he wanted to see. But whatever, whatever it may be. If it was uh, an ailment in his body or, or, or whatever. He said, I asked the Lord three times to remove it from me. And he said, the Lord did not remove this thorn in my flesh, although I asked him three times. This is how you know when somebody's been converted. He said, I asked the Lord to do it, and the Lord did not do it. And the only thing I can tell you is that his grace is sufficient. You know that someone has been converted when they can find the goodness of God in his grace that is sufficient, oh my, my, for whatever they're going to face. The goodness of God was not measured in the deliverance, but the grace that was delivered in the moment of infirmity. I'm telling you today, I thank him for every time that he's healed my body, but even if he never heals me again, he's still good. I thank him for every deliverance that I've seen, but if he never delivers again, he's still good. There is value in seeing him for who he is and knowing that even when I can't get delivered from the thorn, there is sufficient grace that meets me in the moment and is as powerful as his deliverance. Paul realized I would never understand the value of his grace if he would deliver me from the thorn. There is power in knowing that he can move mountains if you have faith as of a grain of mustard seed. But there's also value in knowing that he doesn't move every mountain. He didn't move the mountain for Abraham. But while Abraham was walking up the front side of the mountain, God had grace in a realm walking up the back side of the mountain. Listen, sometimes you just got to learn to hang in there and walk on through the valley knowing that God's going to meet you on the other side. And when he decides to show up, you're going to see the value of his grace in that moment. I, 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 don't, I don't have a lot of time to stay in this story, but, you know, it's pretty tough to see God when you're the man that's laying down on the altar and your crazy dad's hanging over you with a dagger. Dad, why are you doing this? Because God said to. That, 
Oh, really? God said to. God, God, said, God said for you to for you to kill me. You know, Isaac's not a little boy here. He's a full-grown man, nearly 30 years old. When he's laying down, and his dad's 100 years old. You know, you may not think about this much, but I don't know very many 100-year-old men that could whoop a 25, 26-year-old boy. You know? So why doesn't Isaac fight him? Why doesn't, why doesn't Isaac just break his neck and say, get off me, old man. You ain't going to kill me. Because there's, there's value in knowing this is not the first time he's been taught to trust God. Abraham raised him as a boy. We trust God whether we see it or don't see it. We trust God whether we understand it or don't understand it. And, and, and now you're at a place, Isaac, where it's come home to roost with you. And you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. But you do know this, that you've learned to walk with God because your daddy taught you to walk with God. And if you could trust God yesterday, you can trust God today. Hebrews records in Faith Hall of Fame that Abraham believed in God so much that he believed God would fulfill the promise even if he had to resurrect Isaac. Isaac laid himself down knowing that even if God has to raise me up after this, his grace is sufficient. So we come to the story that we read today. And I love, I love this story because Zacchaeus does not come to Jesus in perfection. He comes to Jesus pretty messed up. As a matter of fact, I think the scripture is pretty indicative of the fact that he was, he was probably a, a bozo. He was probably a thief. He was probably someone that had stolen a lot because the language, the language that he uses is, is kind of interesting. He said, if I've taken anything from a man by false accusation, you know what that means? He had taken something from somebody by a false accusation. It's exactly what it means. It meant at some point, he had shystered somebody out of something that didn't belong to him, but he had authority to take that away from them. And so he just took it because he could. Now, this is what I love about this story. Is that everybody thinks they got to get their ducks in a row before they come to Jesus. I've heard it all my life. Pastor, when I get things back in order and I get things right, I'm going I'm to surprise you one Sunday and I'm going to show up. Church, I don't mean to be disrespectful today. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you're never going to get it right enough to deserve his goodness. You're never going to get it all worked out. You're never going to get all your ducks in a row. You're never going to get it all perfected. You might as well come to him while you're as broken as you are and let God heal you. He comes looking for a man that he had heard about. He said, I've, 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 heard, I've heard great things about him. I've heard that he's full of compassion. I've heard that he's a miracle worker. But there was a moment of awakening in the life of Zacchaeus that he was tired of just hearing about the goodness of the Lord. 
I'm going to help somebody here today. He said, I'm tired of hearing about how good he is. I want to see him for myself. I want to see what this Jesus is all about. You know, you can live your whole life on the testimony of other people of the goodness of God and never truly see him for who he is. That's why it's easy for people to walk away like Lot. Because Lot did not have a relationship with God. Lot had a relationship with Abraham. And Abraham had a relationship with God. And so people build their relationship with God in relationships with people that know God. And when times get tough, you walk away because that relationship is gone. When that voice dies or that voice is removed then you don't, you don't have anything to keep you around because you're connected to the people that kept you connected. Now this, this is going to be heavy right here, but when, when, I was, when I was a boy, I was, raised, I was raised in the presence of some great, great men of God. Raised around some powerful men of God. But one of the greatest things that I've ever heard in my life was something that Bishop L.A. Parent would always tell young preachers in his church or anyone that he would sign their Bible. He would sign in the front of young preachers' Bibles when, when he would give them a Bible or they would bring their Bible to him. He would say, always be a man. When in trouble, plead the blood. If you have to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. Bishop L.A. Parent. Can I say it again? Always be a man. When you're in trouble, plead the blood. If you had to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. What was the old wise man saying? He was saying if they don't build their relationship on Jesus Christ, then they've built it on your personality and your ministry. They're not going to make Listen, I would hate to think where some of us would be today. If God were to extract some of the strong voices that speak in our ear. Can I stay right there for just a second? I'm not here today for you to just build a relationship with your pastor. And you've got to have a man of God. You must have a pastor in your life. That's what the Bible said. That's not what I, you got to have a preacher and I'm glad to be your pastor. I thank God that I'm your pastor and I love this dear church and I love you sweet people. But God didn't send me here to make you love me. God sent me here to teach you how to walk with the Lord. At some point in your walk with God, you're probably going to get frustrated with the man of God. At some point, I'm probably going to preach something that's going to feel like I'm stepping on your toes. I, I, I was preaching uh, a week ago Friday at a rally in the southern part of the state. And I, I got to a certain point, I started preaching, and it got, it got real quiet. And, and, and the pastor of the church came up to me after service, and he said, my God, brother. I said, man, what's wrong? Did I, hurt, did I hurt you? Did something go wrong? He said, no. He said, but I'm telling you, the things you were preaching tonight, he said, I'm talking verbatim, word for word. I just had in a meeting with somebody this week. He said, I knew as soon as you started preaching it, they were going to think, pastor's been talking to him. 
I'm not saying that for my benefit. I'm saying to you, just because pastor preaches things or an evangelist preaches things that you feel like you've done told somebody, that doesn't mean somebody told them. That means God puts a voice in your life that lets you hear. Can I just be me right now and tell you, I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a preacher that didn't push me. I, w- I wouldn't give jack squat for a preacher that say, I'll oh, just be j- just be content. Just just to, you know what? I want a man of God that'll say, if you hadn't been praying, you need to get praying. If you hadn't been serving God, you need to be faithful. Why does it matter? Because I want to see him. I want somebody in my life that'll point me in the direction of seeing God. I don't want to build my vision of who he is solely on the fact that God put strong voices in my life that could testify. Thank God for people that can. Thank God for people that build our faith. My word, I've gleaned. I've gleaned so many things through the years. Sounds kind of dark, but I'm, I'm being serious. I, I gleaned things through the years sitting by the bedside of elders that were on their way out. Because they were sitting in a different perspective than I was. They were sitting here looking back over what they've been through. And they were encouraging me about what I was going to see. But you know what? I can't, I can't build... I cannot build my revelation of who God is because Sister Angie Jordan that came here in 1929 told me as a little boy, Brother Luke, always serve the Lord. I had the honor of pastoring her daughter. I had the honor of pastoring Guinevere Smith who was baptized by G.T. Haywood. And Sister Smith was always such an encouragement to young people. Serve the Lord. But you know what? My revelation is not based on Sister Guinevere. I've got to get something for myself that said, I'm glad that they told me, but I want to know who he is. So so Zacchaeus is in an interesting place. He knows he doesn't deserve him. But he's a wealthy man. That's what it said. He was rich. He had everything he needed. And so there's something powerful here too because this was a man that could have bought everything he wanted. And this ought to speak volumes to you. You can't live life without money, but money's not everything. I think you ought to try to get everything you can get, do the best you can, make as much as you can, drive the best you can afford, wear the best you can afford, do whatever, do the best that you can do. But it's not everything because he said, I'm wealthy. I got all the money I need to buy things, but I still want to see him. That ought to tell us something. When God's been good to us and we're, we're already in a place, I fear for young people when I start seeing them take a path to where the kingdom of God gets further and further back in their priority list. Because that kid is in a place that said, I can buy what I want, but I want to see him. And we got young people and saints that are in a place where they've already seen him, but they don't think he's as important anymore. Can I, can I pass you today and tell you that anything, I don't care what it is or how, how hard you work to get it, anything that takes you away from the purpose of God is not the will of God. 
If it takes you further away from the calling that's on your life, if it takes you away from faithfulness to the house of God, if it takes you away from faithfulness in your marriage, it is not the will of God. It's not. It is not the will of God. Zacchaeus said, even though I got all the money I need, I want to see him. And uh, he was a man that was rich in value, is rich in what he had, but he was poor in spirit. Some say that Zacchaeus, the story of him perfectly exhibits the saying of Jesus in Matthew 5 and 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For they shall see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. This is one of those things that's implied right here. How do you know when somebody's poor in spirit? Because all they care about is seeing God. They don't care about the world seeing them. They don't care about how many bright lights are on them. They're poor in spirit because they say, I want to see God. It's the most valuable thing they could do. Now Zacchaeus, his name itself means pure, so it kind of makes sense. Blessed, blessed, you know, this is a pure man. He's a poor man's spirit. He's pure. His heart is, is pure, but he's, he's got messed up along the way. Now, this is a neat little play on words right here, so just stay with me. But Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree. If you know anything about that, that landscape, that, that, the area where they were, it's not, there's not a lot of trees. So it was work to find one. But the tree plays a special role in this. Because Zacchaeus knows the closest that I'm ever going to get to Jesus is by putting myself on a tree. Now you just stay with me right here. He says, if I want to see him, there's going to have to be some, some wood here. That, that come, this tree is going to come into play. You understand what I'm saying? He's going to have to climb up in this tree. Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. But I think there's something powerful and prophetic going on right here. Because Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Zacchaeus' cross was possibly a tree that was the same wood that Jesus' cross was made out of. Wouldn't it be something if the cross that Jesus died on was made from a sycamore tree? Maybe, I don't know. Just a possibility. They could put all this together. But Zacchaeus, even without understanding fully what he was doing, he said, if I am going to see him, it's going to take a tree in my life. I'm going to have to climb up in this tree if I am going to see Jesus. Zacchaeus knew that where I am, I can't see him from here. So I'm going to have to learn the value of elevating. But in order to elevate, I've got to die out to some things. This is where the kingdom of God is backwards. That elevation only comes by dying. Elevation only comes by submitting yourself in a spirit. Oh God. I'm in a hurry. We'll get where I'm going. He climbs this tree. I believe symbolically being crucified. And he desires to see Jesus. He was a man that was short who had been lost in the crowd. He could hear everything going on, but he couldn't see the one that he wanted to see. Now, I'm going to walk you through this little deal here. The sycamore tree is very interesting in this story. Although there weren't a lot of trees, 
options for him to take. The sycamore tree is very interesting because it was considered by law, halakha, to be an unclean tree. It was unclean because it bore fruit that was fed to pigs. Now, I'm going to get this to you and then I'm going to let you do with it what you want to. But when Zacchaeus climbs this tree, he is literally putting himself in the position of humiliation. He said, if I am going to see him, I don't care what it costs me to see him. He knew that when he put his hand on that first branch and he put his foot on that first branch and he started climbing, that there were going to be people that looked at him and said, you're a dummy. You make yourself look like a fool. You know that's unclean. You ought to be humiliated. Can I tell you right now, folks, that if you're going to see him the way he is, you've got to be willing to put yourself in a place of humility where you don't care what people say. You don't care what people think. You don't care what people do. But you have made up in your mind, I want to see him. I want to know him for who he is. Now, now, I want you to watch the spirit of this. I want you to see how this works. Zacchaeus has to crucify his pride to climb the tree to see Jesus. So when he crucifies his pride and he climbs the tree, the Bible said that Jesus came passing by that way. And of all the people that day that had touched him, that had questioned him, that had asked him whatever they wanted to ask, that had seen him do miracles, it was the man who was willing to be humiliated, who was willing to be persecuted, that Jesus walked right up to that tree of humiliation and said, I want you to come down out of humiliation because I am going to your house today. I am going to visit with you today. I'm telling you when you're willing to be abased and you're willing to crucify your flesh, I still believe that he'll go home with you. I believe that the presence of God will go home with you. Zacchaeus had to crucify his pride if he was going to see the Lord. In Romans, Paul wrote, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Job is a powerful Bible story. I love to preach about Job because I know the end of the story, but it's a tough one to preach about the story. But in Job 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eyes seeth thee. Watch this. Wherefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. This is the part people don't want to preach in this common day that we live in right now. When you see him for who he is, your first response is not, I guess he came to me, huh? I'm somebody. Job said, now that I've finally seen you for who you are, he said, I am going 
to repent. Now that I've seen, listen, the value of seeing him for who he is is that if I can see him for who he is, I can see me for who I am. And I know how desperately I need him today. This is the biblical precedent that was set. Job said, I abhor myself and I repent the dust and the ashes. When you see Jesus, it will lead you to repentance. In Luke 19 and 8, Zacchaeus stood. The Lord came to him. And he came, he came down to the Lord. He stood and he said unto the Lord, watch this. He's just seen Jesus. He just comes down out of the tree. And before he says anything else to the Lord, he said, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, this is a word of repentance right here. I will restore. He didn't say, forgive me for what I've taken. This is not just about, can I be forgiven for it? No. Restoration is what we're after. He said, I will restore what I've taken. And Jesus said to him, this day is salvation come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You can look at it how you want to, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe when Zacchaeus saw him, the first recognition he had is I am lost without him. When you finally see him for who he is, he's not this fake, this fake deity that people have made up that just... He just wants you to be happy. Just do, just do whatever. Look, look, if Jesus was into the happy doctrine, he'd have, he'd have patted Zacchaeus on the head and said, Oh, don't you worry about restoring all that. Don't worry about fixing all that. Let's just go eat dinner. I want you to be happy. But when he saw him, he said, Well, I'm going to take everything that I've done wrong, and I'm going to restore it. That's repentance. And the Lord said, Then I'm coming with you. The value of seeing him is that it allows me to see me. When I see him for who he is, it allows me to see me for who I am. And when I see me for who I am, I realize I can't live without him. I am lost without him. I said I am lost without him today. I've preached to you what I believe to be the word of the Lord today. But somebody in this house needs to see Jesus. You need to see him for who he is. And when you see him and it begins to expose to you who you are, don't, don't let that make you angry at God. Listen, there's, there's value in what I'm preaching to you right now. This is where some people get. The more they see of him, the more they see of them. And they're like, no, I don't want to fix that. I like being the way I am. But sweetheart, I want to tell you, you can't be what you are and be okay. When you see him, you got to let him expose. I wonder who'd be brave enough in this house today to say, Lord, I want to see you and I want you to expose everything in me right now that is not like you, Lord. I want to give you the best that I have. I want to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Hey, I'm telling you, you can sit on a preacher today, but you can't sit on the Lord. When the Lord starts showing you some things, it's going to make you find value in seeing him for who he is I want to see you I want to see you 
Show me who you are today, God. And show me who I am today. I believe when you see him, it'll move you to repentance. I believe when you see him, it'll move you to a place of worship. Would you reach out and touch him right now?